Michelle, can we sing that line that says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Can we just lift our hands and sing that together right now? I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hallelujah, Jesus. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Change our perspective, yes. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Hallelujah, Jesus. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm It may look like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. Yes, Jesus. It may look like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. One more time. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Thank you, Jesus. It may look like I'm surrounded, I'm surrounded by you. Father, I thank you for that truth and that perspective, Father God. And I believe that there is a shift that you want to take place in our minds today, Lord God. That what we see with our physical eyes uh, does not determine uh, what it is that you're doing, Father God. Father, I pray that you would shift our perspective, God, that when it seems like the world is coming against us, when it seems like the world is falling apart, Lord, that you are not absent, but you are, in fact, at work, Father God. I pray for the perspective that we read about in the Old Testament, Father God, where the prophet and his assistant were surrounded by an army, Lord God. And the assistant cried out, and he said, what are we going to do? We're dead. And the prophet prayed and said, God, open his eyes so that he can see. And as a result, his eyes were opened and he saw that that army that was surrounding them was in fact surrounded by God's heavenly army. And Father, I just, I just thank you, Lord God, that sometimes what looks like overwhelming odds is actually overwhelming odds in our favor. Sometimes when we come into a room to worship and there's less people here than normal on a Sunday, we think to ourselves, oh, perhaps I should lower my expectations. But in reality, God, you plan to do something very unique and very special. And that's what I speak over us today, Lord God, that as many of us are out, some on vacation, some sick, some dealing with losses in their family, Father God, that we believe that you're here today to meet with us that the God that leaves the 99 to come after the one is here in this room. And God, you're going to speak a word of truth and implant it in our hearts, God. And it's going to produce forever change. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give him some praise today. And I want you to turn to your neighbor, grab him by the shoulder and say, raise your expectations. Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you, Joseph. Thank you, worship team. Can we thank our worship team with a hand clap today for their ministry? Man, we are. So if you haven't noticed, we are very thin today. Uh, This is just one of those Sundays that just happens where everyone just happens to be out of town. Um, Some people on vacation. We do have a few people that called in sick today. 
there you, that, you know, maybe some very patriotic people are celebrating Columbus Day. Whatever excuses we can come up with, right? Um, but uh, we're so glad that you chose to come to church today because I firmly believe that God has a mighty word for you. And as I was praying earlier, we're talking about perspective today. Um, and if you haven't been around the last few weeks, we are in the third week of a series entitled Mind Wars. It's about winning the battle that takes place in our mind. Because if you lose that battle, you step into every other battle already defeated. Amen? How many of you know that your thoughts are powerful? Your, your, your life will always be going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Amen? Let me say that again. Your life will always be going in the direction of your strongest thoughts. So are you happy with the direction your life is going? If not, then maybe it's time to change the way that you think. Today's message is entitled Reframe. Reframe. We're going to learn how to reframe our circumstances. Because I think that one of the things that keeps us stuck is the delusion of control. How many of you will be honest and say, I'm a little bit of a control freak sometimes? Okay, lots of hands shooting up. Confession is good for the soul, right? Confess so you can be healed. Man, and and. And one of the most frustrating things I'll say that gets me upset or stressed out is when I feel totally out of control, when there's nothing I can do about my situation. But in reality, when we look at life and how fragile it is, right? We look at life and just how quickly it can end or, or how um, you can be loving your life and your career path and the next thing you know there's layoffs and you don't know what's next. Things are going well, and, and all of a sudden you get that bad report from the doctor. There are so many things that just happen to us that we have no control over whatsoever. It reminds me of my first time on a roller coaster. I was, I was about age, mm, I don't know, 12, I think. I just entered youth group, and we took our annual trip to Six Flags Magic Mountain. Never been on a roller coaster uh, in my entire life, and I decided to make my first roller coaster the Batman ride at Six Flags. Let me just tell you, if you have not been on a roller coaster before, Batman's not a great place to start. And I remember uh, walking, standing in that line, and we get up to the, the entry gate where they have that thing where they measure you to see how tall enough you are. You've you got to be tall enough to ride the ride. And I was right there at the line just barely tall enough to ride this ride. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, so I'm, I'm on the line and it, it takes you underneath the ride. And so you are in line and, and, and when that roller coaster comes around, it sounds like rolling thunder. And then it passes over you. And so I'm literally like shivering in my shoes. Like, what am I doing? This is crazy. But I didn't want to wuss out. So I stayed in line and, and waited and, and got all the way in there. And, and then when we got in, uh, we strapped in and they had one of those overhead harnesses, right, that you just pulls down and then it locks into place. And I'm like, okay, this feels safe. This feels secure. And then there is that infamous ascent. It's, it's, it's the fact that it's so slow, I think, that makes it so scary. It's like click, 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 
click, click, and you're like, we're still going up. We're still going up. Why are we not at the top yet? Like, how high is this drop? And you just have all this extra time to think about what you can't control. Get to the top, and immediately it turns to the side and goes straight down. And I am screaming, ah, what did I get myself into? I'm repenting of all my past sins. I'm like, Lord, if I come to meet you today, I want to make sure I'm ready. I'm sorry for those bad thoughts I thought. I'm sorry for disobeying my parents. Like, please forgive me of everything. And, and we're going around. And what I found is I just begin to exhaust myself because I am white knuckling this harness. And I found myself wanting to control the roller coaster. Have you ever been the, the parent in the passenger seat with the imaginary brake, right? I, I still do that sometimes when I'm in the car, I'm riding with someone. If, if they don't brake when I would have brake, I'm like, mm, right? Or I'm just like, you lean. Sometimes, you know, growing up when I was playing video games, um, I'd throw the pass in the football game and I'd be like, lifting up my controller because I need the pass to go a little bit. It doesn't actually work that way, Right? And that's what I was doing on this roller coaster. And so we came up to this specific corner that it was just this crazy sharp turn. And, and sometimes there's certain angles that these rides take where all you can see is just ground beneath you. You can't even see the track. And so instinctively, I lean against the turn like I don't want to go that way. And when I did that, remember how I said I was barely tall enough for the ride? My head slipped out from underneath the harness, and I proceeded for the next 60 seconds like this. Ah! Freaking out. And it was in that moment that I realized I was not in control of this ride. I was not in control of the direction my life was going. I began to reflect on my life choices, and, and I realized that it was, in fact, a good thing that I was not in control because if it was up to me to keep that thing on the track, we'd all be dead. And I realized in the moment that the best thing I could do was just hang on and enjoy the ride. Finally, I get my head back inside the harness. And believe it or not, the final 60 to 90 seconds of that ride, my perspective changed and what was once pure terror Turned to joy. And by the end of that ride, I we, we came in. I remember turning to the person next to me. Did you see what happened to me? My head was hanging out the side. But I was like, that was awesome. Let's do it again. The only difference between the first half of that ride and the second half of that ride was my perspective. It's so powerful. How are you interpreting the things that are happening around you. And sometimes we suffer with fear and anxiety because we have this delusion of control. We believe we have control when in fact we have no control. The truth is we cannot control our circumstances, at least not most of them. But what we can do is we can reframe our thinking about those circumstances. And sometimes I think we underestimate the power of perspective. And today we're going to talk about what the Word of God teaches us about our perspective. And so at your tables, we're going to take a moment to discuss this. Uh, there's a question that's going to be up on the screen. And the question is this, a very simple question you've heard before. Are you a glass half empty or a glass half full type of person? And how can a person's perspective really impact their life? All right, let's discuss that at our tables and then we're going to open up God's Word. 
All right. Great discussion at my table. You guys have some good discussion going on at your table? Amen. All right, that's great. So we learned a little bit about uh, people's temperament, whether they're more positive or negative, uh, optimist or pessimist. Um, I was saying um, at my table, I asked somebody that question once and they replied to me, I don't even have a glass. And that just kind of reminds you just how, how powerful perspective is. Um, because when someone feels like they don't even have a glass or that it's half empty, it, it, it paralyzes them. And it causes them to hoard and say, I better not drink the rest of this because this is all I have. And someone who says, I've, I've still got half a glass full is someone who's going to partake of what's in that. And I guess what? At a restaurant, that's the person who's getting the refill. Because when they walk around, they check your glass. And if it still has water, they keep walking. But if it's empty, they said, here, let me fill you up. And I believe that's how God works with us as well, is uh, when we drink all that he's given us, it shows us that we trust him to continue to pour out and to take care of us. So perspective is a powerful thing. And so today what I want to do is I want to give you three ways to reframe your mind. And so by reframing your mind, you have to reframe your circumstances. Okay? And so here we go. Before we get into this, we're going we're gonna to first look at Philippians chapter 4, but we're going to do something that's going to kind of help reframe our circumstances right now. So I want you to stand with me just for a moment, if you would. And if you've got a Bible, grab it, hold it in your hand. Um, if you follow along on your phone, go ahead and put your phone in your hand. And we're going to make a statement of faith. We're going to make a declaration, which is an exercise from last week over what it is that we hold in our hand, because if we believe what we're about to say, it changes everything, amen? All right, so it's on the screen. Go ahead and read along with me. One, two, three. This is my Bible. It is God's word. When I read it and live it, I will become everything it says that I am. All right, if you believe that, say amen and have a seat. I love that some of you just jumped out ahead of me right there. You're like so confident and anxious to get into this. I feel like you really believed it, right? So uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. And this is Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And so just to give you a little bit of context, this is known as one of the prison epistles that means that Paul wrote this letter to encourage a church in Philippi while he's under house arrest. He's not free. Quite literally, he's not free. And yet, this is the perspective that he offers them. In verse 11, it says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. Somebody say that word. That's a powerful word. Somebody say content. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation. How many of you want to know the secret to living in every situation? He says, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Most of you recognize that last verse, and sometimes we slightly take it out of context to just mean like, you know, whatever I decide I want to do, I can do it because God's going to help me. But in this context, he's specifically talking about how through God's strength, I can live in every circumstance, in every situation, and still have joy. 
Whether I have plenty or I have little, I can still maintain my joy and my hope for the future. And so we're going to learn a little bit about the secret, and I believe it starts with that word contentment. See, contentment is something that comes without a change in your circumstances. Contentment is something that you have before your circumstances change. It can only come from a reframed mind. So now I want to tell, uh, go over something that Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 where he does this and puts this into practice, he kind of peels back the curtain and lets us understand how his brain is processing everything that he's going through. This is a powerful perspective right here. Check this out. Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. He says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Powerful perspective. Paul is under house arrest. Uh, theologians uh, say that they believe that um, there were these guards that would come and be chained to him like in these 12-hour shifts, rotations. And he's not allowed to leave. He's not allowed to go anywhere because they're afraid he's going to run away. As far as he knows, he could be awaiting his sentence, which could even be a sentence to death. It could be his execution that he's waiting. And yet he's able to maintain his joy. How in the world is that possible? See, perspective is the mechanism that you filter your reality through. It takes all that you have been through and frames it in a specific way so that you see things differently. You see them in a certain light. But some of, some of us, we have a problem. We've got a bad filter. Number one, we've got to learn how to change our filter. I'm going to tell you a story that I've told uh, once before, but good stories are worth repeating, right? So um, somebody say, Pastor, tell it again. Okay, since you asked, I'm going to tell this story again. Uh, I woke up uh, one cold December morning in Arizona, because you know how cold it gets here, right? And I said to myself, you know what sounds good? I would love some hot chocolate. And so I have a Keurig machine that, of course, I normally use for coffee. Uh, but today I said, I want some hot chocolate. And rather than microwaving uh, hot water, I'm just going to use the hot water that comes out of the Keurig. And so I grab a cup. I grab my hot chocolate mix and I pour it in. I put it beneath the Keurig and I put the select hot water on there. I push start. I walk away and do a few things. I come back expecting to enjoy this nice hot cup of cocoa. And I take it out and I stir it up. It looks good. And I taste it. And immediately I tasted something that tasted like old soggy cigarettes mixed with chocolate. And I was like, what in the world happened? This is disgusting. It doesn't make any sense. I put the hot chocolate again. I'm going through it. What did I forget to do? And suddenly it dawned on me. I lift up the lid and there was an old Keurig cup still in there. 
And so what I had actually drunk was water that had been filtered through already brewed, moldy, stale coffee grounds, stirred it up with chocolate. And how many of you know when you got something nasty, you can't just mask it with chocolate, right? You're still going to taste it. You're going to have that nasty, bitter aftertaste. And that's exactly what happened to me. And here's the thing. There was nothing wrong with the cup. Um, there was nothing wrong with the water. The water was pure. I had a filter in there. The problem was what the water had to pass through before it got into my cup. See, this, these are the lies that become so much a part of you that they reinterpret or contaminate everything that happens to you. Put a bitter taste in your mouth. Scientists call this cognitive bias. Cognitive bias. These are the biases that we form in our mind, and, and they form a subjective reality. That means it's a reality that is based on a belief rather than facts. So it's not actually the truth of what's happening around you, but it's what you believe about what's happening around you. And how many of you know that's a powerful perspective? It reminded me of my first job. I was 14 years old. I got hired at a restaurant as a busboy. Um, I don't think they do that anymore, but back then in the 90s, uh, actually, was that 90s? Yeah. Back then in the 90s, you could get a job at 14. And so I'm cleaning tables, all these things. And I remember at the orientation, it was my first day of work. They said, here's, here's how this works. This is what's expected of you. You need to clean these tables. You got to be fast. You got to be efficient because the sooner we can get the tables cleaned, the more customers we can get in, the more the company makes money. Right? So I get the pep top, the orientation. And then they say, in here, in the kitchen, there's this glass jar. These are your tips. And so if you work hard and you do a good job, the waitresses will tip you for your hard work because you're helping them make more money. And so I went into that with an expectation that by the end of the night, that jar was going to be overflowing with cash, right? Because I was just going to bust my butt and I was going to work hard. And so sure enough, I'm, I'm working hard. I'm going fast. And, you know, I had a lot of energy at 14. So this is a good job for me. And I'm putting my heart and soul in this. And all of a sudden I realized there's nothing in that jar. And then after like an hour, there was a few coins. And then after three hours, there was like one dollar bill. And I started to get really angry and frustrated and with every hour that went by without that jar filling up to the top, it reinforced this false narrative. I begin to think things like this. These waitresses are selfish. They're greedy. They probably don't like me. And they must think I'm doing a terrible job. And so the tension continued to build until finally it was the end of the night and they said thank you to the team. They were closing up. They sent us home and on my way out, I stomped out and I turned back and I said, thanks for the tips and stomped out of the restaurant and I never came back to work again. Yep, you're going to have to talk to my mom and dad about that because I would have made my kid get right back to work. But what I was suffering from in that situation was a perspective that had created a filter in my mind that made me blind to some very important facts like this. Their job, way harder than mine. 
I've been a server before. It's harder than busting tables. They made less per hour than me. I was making minimum wage. They were not. Thirdly, they had families to feed. I did not. And a few bucks from them meant the world. It carried a lot of weight, more than I could even imagine. That Those few coins and those few dollars, when they're struggling to put food on their family's table, was a huge blessing to me. Romans 8.28 reminds us that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? So what that means is that God is always at work in our lives in both the good and the bad times. But sometimes we can't receive the truth of that about our circumstances because it passes through this nasty filter of lies before it empties into our soul. And so what we have is, is someone can come up to you and they can encourage you and say, look, you can do this, you just need to not give up. But it filters through your filter, and by the time it gets into your soul, it's nothing like the truth that was just shared to you. And so these filters make us unable to receive the truth that if we could receive it and take it at face value, it would change us. It would transform the way we think. It would change our attitude. It would restore our joy. But because it goes through our filter, it doesn't work. But by choosing a filter, choosing to filter your circumstances through God's word and his truth instead of your biases, you can change your filter and free yourself from those mental prisons that you create. And so in in your handouts today, by the way, I forgot to mention that, if you don't have a handout, we'd love for you to follow along. We want you to take these home, and specifically for this series, there's exercises for you to do when you're home. And so uh, take these home, and if you'll do these exercises, I truly believe it's gonna make a big difference in your life. And so um, if I could actually, just real quick, if you don't have a packet, and you want one, can you just lift up your hand real quick so we can get you some? Perfect. Over here, somebody get on that real quick, our team lead or somebody. Um, So we got one that's needed over here, a couple needed over here, and it's worth pausing because I believe God wants to use these handouts to really make a big difference in our lives. So they're grabbing some. When you see them come back in the doors, go ahead and raise your hands again so they know to come over to you, okay? But the first exercise that you're gonna be taking Uh, when you go home is this. It's called identifying your cognitive bias. So what you want to do is you want to take some time today to write down any biases that you recognize in your life. Things that you automatically assume to be true that may not be true. The second part of this mentions that it might be helpful to ask others to help you identify these things in you. How many of you know that takes some humility, right? To give somebody permission to say, tell me where you see biases in my thinking, even though it might offend me, right? But why would I have to do that? Because if we knew we had a bias, we wouldn't have a bias, right? If I knew that I had a biased way of thinking, I would get rid of that. Because I'd be like, oh, that's bias. That's not true. That's my cognitive bias, And so um, the very fact that we have biases um, is evidence that we're not aware of them. Does that make sense? And so sometimes we need the perspective of someone else to point out 
our biases. And then thirdly, write down how you can reframe those biases. And we're going to spend some more talking about that, how you can reframe those biases. In other words, um, it's kind of applying the replacement principle too. It's saying, this is what I believed, but here's the truth in this. And so now I'm going to restate it this way. So choosing to see things differently is the secret that I believe Paul was referring to when he said, I have discovered the secret to living in every situation. See, reframing must take place on two levels, the past and the present. The past and the present. So number two is this. I want you to zoom out. To zoom out. This is how we reframe our past. Okay, how many of you know that when you're taking a picture, if you zoom in, you get closer, but you cut out a lot of things, right? If you zoom out, everything gets smaller, but you capture a larger perspective. Isaiah reminds us of this principle in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. It says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so what God is saying through Isaiah here is, I am so far superior to you. <laughs> And that's, that might be hard for some of us to hear. That's a good thing. Just like it's not a good thing that I was in control of that roller coaster, right? It's a good thing that his thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Somebody turn to your neighbor and say, I'm thankful his thoughts are higher than yours. Right? What a disaster this world would be is if our thinking was on the same plane as his. So his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so here's why that's important. If you accept this as truth, then it's inevitable that things will continue to unfold in ways that you had not planned. You should expect that there are things that are going to be outside of your control that happen that are not ideal. Disappointment, unfortunately, because of the fall and sin, is a part of life. We're going to be disappointed. And so why is that powerful perspective? Because it doesn't have to take you by surprise. It doesn't have to shock you. And when you're not surprised, you don't have to respond with a powerful reaction. In, instead, you can process it and determine what is true out of it. You should expect to encounter plenty of situations that don't seem fair or that don't make sense. And when you understand that, when you have that perspective, then your first reaction is not, God, you're not here. God, you're not real. God, you don't care. God, you're so far away. Because we understand that he sees things from a different perspective that we could never fully understand. Have you ever heard the saying that hindsight is 2020? I believe that's true, but I also believe this. I believe that many of us suffer from nearsighted hindsight. And what I mean by that is we can't seem to make sense of our past disappointments because we've not stepped back to gain the benefits of a long-term or even an eternal perspective, which is God's perspective. 
That's why his ways are so much higher than our ways, because God always was, always is, and always will be. Yet you and I, we had a beginning, and we're going to have an end. And even though we're eternal beings, there's going to be an end to this body. And so we see everything on this timeline, and God sees the whole timeline at once. Let me illustrate this for you. I used to hike a lot. And one day I went to the top of this, one of the seven summits we have in the valley. I forgot which one it was. And when I was up there, I sat down on a rock. I was the only one on top of this mountain. It was just so peaceful. The weather was wonderful. And I just began to look out at the landscape and I noticed the roads and I noticed the traffic. And what stood out to me was the perspective that I gained from being on this high point. And I began to watch the traffic, and it came to a point where everything clogged up and slowed down. And I, from that perspective, could see exactly why traffic slowed down there, that there was an accident. I could continue to look further to my left, and I could see exactly where the traffic began to speed up again and flow freely again. But the people in those cars could not possibly share that same perspective. People in the midst of the traffic would have loved to have that information. And sometimes they tune in their radios to get a perspective from a helicopter that they don't have. But they could, most of them could not share that perspective until they arrived where they were going. Then they could take a look back. Eventually they would have passed that accident and be like, that's what's going on. And they might have discovered part of the reason why the traffic is slowing down is even though this accident has been cleared off to the side, everyone's slowing down so that they can get a better look at it, right? But what good would it do for them to look back in that situation? Well, they could realize I still arrived at my destination. I got where I was going. Perhaps it felt like it was going to be an hour delay and it ended up being only 15 minutes. So that the next time they face traffic, they can go into it with that perspective and maybe have a little bit less anxiety. You know, this is, I'm still going to get there. My boss will understand. Uh, this is an extra time for me to spend in God's presence. I could be praying right now instead of complaining and yelling at the traffic. But here's the problem. Most drivers don't process traffic this way, do they? They just continue to react with anxiety and anger, which perpetuates the problem of angry, anxious drivers that may have been the very thing that led to the accident that slowed down the traffic in the first place. This leads to more accidents and more slowing of traffic. Here's the deal. And this isn't in the slides, but try to write this down. If you continue to go through the same motions you will continue to experience the same emotions. I'll say it again. If you continue to go through the same motions, expect to continue to experience the same emotions. In order to connect the dots of your past, for it all to make sense, you have to zoom out and see things from God's perspective. And we have the ability to do this in hindsight, once it's all over, God has showed up in such amazing ways with his higher plans in my life. 
where I can just literally go down year by year and see all the times where I was disappointed, where I suffered, where I experienced pain and frustration and failure and disappointment. And when I step back, I can connect the dots and see that he was at work the whole time. For instance, when I first went to college, I was so excited. I found a Bible college that had a football team and they offered me a scholarship to come and play football for them. And I couldn't believe it because I remember my last game, my senior year in high school, I cried because I thought I was playing my last game. I was so sad. I found a school that was willing to let me come play football for them. And the first three years were rough, but I battled through. And we were entering spring football um, of my junior year, and all the buzz was around Joe Skeens for a short amount of time. And the coaches were talking about me. Like, I think we found a diamond in the rough. Like, this is going to be our uh, number one target next year as a receiver. I was roommates with our starting quarterback, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm in. Like, we're going to be buddies, and he's going to want to throw me the ball. And we had all this anticipation, all this excitement, all this hype for next season. Well, the coaches went really hard into recruiting through the summer. And when I showed up in the fall, our receiver room was very crowded. There was probably 12 to 14 wide receivers that weren't on the team the previous year. And I went in one summer from being the receiver all the coaches are talking about to becoming someone who was benched and had his scholarship revoked. So not only was I not going to see the field very much, but now I'm contemplating getting a job. What am I supposed to do? I'm thinking to myself, God, what are you doing? I've invested three years of my life working my rear end off to do something that I love. I felt like I finally made progress, and this was going to be a breakout season. And then you send new coaches in, and they bring in new players, and they don't care about me because they're focused on the next three years and these younger athletes that are coming up behind me. But here's the deal. Now that I look back, I see what happened. Because of this, it kept me more focused on my true calling. I recognized something in my heart that if I would have had a lot of success and made like all conference or something like that, I would have started to think that football could be a part of my future. That maybe this is something God wanted me to go into when in reality that wasn't what he had for me at all. And because I couldn't afford to go to school because they took away my scholarship, I was forced to get a job delivering pizzas. Well, guess what? At that job delivering pizzas, I had a regular opportunity to share the gospel with my coworkers and had a, a very big impact on my manager of that store. To this day, we still have contact. I would bring in Christian music and he'd allow me to play it while we were folding boxes in the store at Domino's. Later on, um, another, I guess this was actually before, um, it was my sophomore year in college, I came down with a severe illness, um, something I had no idea what was going on. All I knew was I had extreme pain in my chest, in my abdomen. Um, I was experiencing all other kind of symptoms that I won't share with you because they're too intimate and disgusting, right? But I'm suffering with excruciating pain. As far as I know, I'm dying. That's what it felt like. I did not have health insurance. So I 
couldn't afford to go to the doctor. When I finally get, did go to the doctor, I couldn't afford any of the tests. So he, he said, try these antibiotics, and it didn't work. I don't know what's happening. I don't know why it's happening. On top of that, that's when, at 19 years old, I started going bald. <laughs> okay? So this was pretty traumatic for me. 19 years old, I'm thinking to myself, I look like a freak. I'm going to be single for the rest of my life. Which one of these cute college girls is going to want to date this guy that's 19? And they're thinking, if I end up with him, he's going to be bald by the time he's 22. I mean, just being really real with you. These are the mind games that I was playing with. I remember one night specifically, I woke up hyperventilating, feeling so alone, feeling so hopeless. And then on top of that, my parents were going through a divorce at the same time. God, why in the world are you allowing this to happen? Well, here's some things that came out of that. Number one, I never asked a single girl out on a date while I was in college. And because of that, I didn't fall in love with the wrong person. But I'm wet. I met my beautiful wife, Ashley, at my first job as a youth pastor here in Phoenix at Phoenix Calvary Temple, Central Avenue. She was perfect for me, and she to this day is perfect for me. She had everything that I needed. She's not a traditional pastor's wife. If you, if you know her well, you know that about her. So there's nothing traditional about her. She doesn't play the organ. She doesn't sing, right? She's not the head over the women's ministry, right, Autumn, right? And although she's capable of maybe doing something like that, we won't talk about her singing, but she's exactly what I needed. And I may have missed out on that, if things were just going well for me. On top of that, God began to move in my heart and in my pain, it created compassion for other people that were suffering. I matured spiritually and emotionally during that time because I was forced to process these things that were already in there, but it was only because of the suffering, only because of the tension, only because of the stress that they rose to the surface so that I could be like, oh my goodness, I don't need to worry about the ugliness up here on the top of my head. I need to worry about the ugliness in my soul. And it began to change who I was. I met Ashley, we got married, and we finally decided it was time to start our family. And we tried to conceive, and guess what? We couldn't. We tried again and again and again, and um, everything short of spending thousands of dollars on in vitro, we tried some less expensive things, could not get pregnant. It was frustrating. We couldn't understand why. I mean, first we waited a few years because we wanted to enjoy our married life, and then all of a sudden, we may never have a family. Well, as most of you in here who know me know, it was because of that that we opened up our heart to foster care. And as we began to look into it, God came in. He broke our heart for children that need a second chance, for children that are headed down a very dark path. And because we could not conceive, we began to think about that. And when we thought about that, it was clear to us that God was calling us into this situation. And let me tell you, we didn't get a family the way we wanted and it was probably the most challenging thing that we ever did, just being honest with you. But I'm telling you today, I would not trade a thing. And here's why I say that. Not only do I have four beautiful children that I love very much, and they are my own. I don't care if they were 
given birth to by my wife. They were my kids, my children. But God used the difficulties in our family, every struggle from the trauma of their past, everything that we had to wrestle with. He has used that to stir something up within me. And it's part of the reason why I speak with such passion today is because of the suffering that I've gone through and the things that God has brought me through. I believe in the power of his spirit. I believe in the power of his word because if it wasn't for his presence, if it wasn't for his word, I would be broken. I would be beaten down. I would have given up a long time ago. And part of the reason I stand before you today and I speak with such boldness is because everything that I've suffered with him by my side And I don't say that to pat myself on the back. I'm nobody. I'm telling you that the same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in me. He dwells in you. And if you'll take him at his word and you'll trust him, he will bring you through it and he will reframe your thinking so that you can maintain your joy even in the midst of the trial. Because of what God did not do and because of what he allowed me to struggle with, I'm a different person today. When things seem hopeless, I've found that within me rises up a holy stubbornness that draws a line in the sand and says, no, I am not going to accept this. When the same thing has happened again and again and again, and the same failure arises up again and again and again, the same struggle with the same person again and again and again, I say, I don't care how many times this has taken place. I refuse to accept this as my future. I refuse to accept this as my children's future. I refuse to believe that I'm a victim because God has seen me through in the past and he's going to see me through in the future. It was later on that God said no to me in a moment where I really felt like I needed a yes. And it was at the time when this church was looking for our first pastor after John resigned. And as some of you know the story, it wasn't my time. I thought it was. Um, But I was told no. And in that moment, I knew for a fact that God had called me to pastor. And so I just, in my own reasoning, said he must have called me to pastor somewhere else. So I begin to pray about that. I begin to put out my resume. I begin to submit my name to churches. A church had me come and speak. They offered me their church. And I'm thinking, wow, this is it. I knew it. Like, this is God. But immediately, he spoke to me in that moment and says, don't you dare go anywhere. I was so frustrated. I told God, I have no future at the fountain. That's what I told him. I said, I have no future here. They've already told me no. Like, I don't belong there. Like, what are you, why are you telling me no? Long story short, it was quickly after that that uh, Mark, whom I miss very dearly, by the way, we still talk. He's doing awesome in Minnesota, if you're wondering. He resigns. Second time around, the board says, you're the guy. If I had continued to filter through my circumstances through lies, that you have not been called here even though you knew God called you here, that there was a different opportunity he was leading to you even though deep down he was giving you conviction to to not go anywhere, I wouldn't be here today. I needed to go through that process. I needed to learn to wait. 
I needed to face disappointment. I needed to stay underneath another person's leadership. I needed to grow in maturity. I needed to learn from Pastor Mark. The reason why we put such an emphasis on prayer here at the Fountain today is in large part to Pastor Mark's emphasis on prayer and the way that he pushed us all towards prayer and intercession. And I took that away from that experience and I'd be a different pastor if I had just taken the easy way out. And let me tell you this too. I'm not going to name the church, but when I look at the state of that church, I'm so glad I did not say yes to that church. Why do I share all this with you? That was a lot. Because exercise two is this. It's called unanswered prayers. And what I want you to do this week is to write down the times that God did not give you what you were praying for and thank him. So in other words, God, in my life, I thank you that you did not, and then you fill in the blank. And I think some of you will be surprised as you put a lot of time and thought into it, just how large that list becomes. I almost did this, but you stopped me, and look what could have been. I almost got what I asked for, but you took it away, and it's a good thing. Now that you've taken the time to zoom out, to gain perspective on your past, I want you to shift your focus toward the present and zoom in. Zooming in is where we reframe our present, and I'll say and your future because I'm telling you, if you begin to reframe your present, it'll change your outlook for the future as well. I'd like to invite uh, Rochelle to come up on the keys if she hasn't already started moving that way. She probably did. But this is exactly what Paul does for the church in Philippi. So we're going to look at that passage again. I'm going to break it down for you more. Philippians 1, chapters 12 through 14. This is what he says again. He says, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul was able to find God's goodness in the midst of his difficult situation. Why? Because he was looking for it. He was looking for God's goodness. Some of us, our biggest problem, we waste all our energy looking for what's wrong. And guess what? You're going to find it. But the simple practice of looking for and identifying God's goodness in your current circumstances, you will find it as well. Paul understood his purpose to the point where um, he was happy almost to suffer because he could see it unfolding. He could see God's plan unfolding in his life. And as he zoomed in, he was able to recognize how God was using every difficult circumstance to fulfill his perfect plan. Everything bad that happened to him was, number one, helping him take the gospel to people who had never heard it before. We learned from his writings that he had tried to come to Rome multiple times and he couldn't. God said, I'm going to make a way. You're going to get arrested. You're going to appeal to Caesar. They're going to take you to Rome. Not only that, but God gave him a captive audience. He was held captive, but he also had a captive audience. Can you imagine Paul sitting in a room chained to a soldier who's under orders to not leave his side? And he's just preaching the word to him for hours on end. 
Look at all the Old Testament prophecies. See how Christ fulfilled every single one. And all he can do is sit there and listen. He says, the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains for Christ. And that brought him joy in the midst of his suffering. And thirdly, he talks about how other Christians were inspired by his example. As he looked out and he's hearing stories of God's church rising up and preaching the gospel with boldness because he too preached it with boldness and continues to, even from prison. He said, if Paul can do it, I can do it too. And recognizing God's goodness in his current circumstances fueled him to not only keep pressing on, but to rejoice. And that's what we're gonna talk about next week. But if Paul had only been looking for the bad, he would have totally missed the fact that God was doing exactly what he set out to do. Let me tell you, church, there is never a season in your life that is without purpose. Some people, that's hard for them to accept because when you say that, they think that means God caused this to happen. Like, he made me sick. He took the life of my spouse. But what it means is that God knew those things were gonna happen and he's turning them for good, as we sang earlier, right? You took what the enemy meant for evil, Joseph, right? And you turned it for good. Think about the Bible character, Joseph, right? And if you zoom in, you'll see God's hand all over your circumstances. I'll close with this real quick. Craig Rochelle shares in his book an analogy of how this works. You got two birds, a vulture and a hummingbird. I love this. Both spend their day, a large portion of it, searching for food. A vulture can smell a rotting carcass from a mile away. He circles around and all day he stumbles upon nasty, rotting meat. A hummingbird isn't looking for that. A hummingbird is looking for the sweet nectar of flowers hovers around all day, and guess what? He finds it. Both birds find exactly what they're looking for. So what are you looking for? Are you making a list of everything that's messed up in your life mentally? Or are you taking account of God's grace in every situation? Exercise three is just that, to look for God's goodness. Answer these questions. What circumstance in my life right now um, do I struggle to see anything good or positive? What is one practical step I could take to change my mind about this situation? What do I want to see God do to change this situation? What is the most positive, life-building, God-honoring way for me to approach this situation? Because church, in order to see the good in your present, you need to zoom in. You need to take a closer look because as the song says even when I don't see it he's working even when I don't feel it he's working you never stop you never stop working we're not going to live by what we see we're not going to live by what we feel we know that God is at work and often it's not until we get to the other side that we're like ah there you were. I didn't see you in the moment, but I look back 
and your footprints and your fingerprints are all over it. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning as we close. The first thing I wanna do is if you're in the room today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I would say if that's you, and if you're watching online today, if that's you, you're not really a follower of Jesus right now. You've probably really struggled to see God's goodness through your circumstances. You probably have a filter that has you uh, seeing things in a negative light. And maybe your circumstances cause you to believe that God is either far away or weak or doesn't care. Or maybe he's not even real. Perhaps today, though, God's Spirit is revealing to you that he's been at work in your life this whole time. He's showing you his goodness in your past. He's showing you his goodness in your present. And you want the future that he has for you. If that's you and you've never received Christ into your life as your Savior and your Lord, you've never received forgiveness for your sins by placing your faith and trust in him, I'd just like to ask you to raise your hand so that we can pray with you and you can experience that new life in Christ today. Anybody in the room? Amen. Then I just want to extend this to those of you watching online because you could be watching live right now or you could be watching this in 10 years. But that invitation is for you. So I just want to ask everybody in the room for the benefit of those watching online and any of you that maybe you didn't raise your hand but you're like, I need to pray that prayer. Would you all repeat this prayer after me, please? Say, Dear Father, thank you for loving me in spite of my ugliness, in spite of my sin, even though I've ran away from you, even though I've allowed my circumstances to dictate what I believe about you. But today, you're giving me a new perspective. I can see that you've been pursuing me. I can see that you've been at work in my life. And so I'm coming to you now and I lay my life down to you and surrender. I'm done living life for myself. Today I commit to live it for you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and to make me clean. I believe you died on a cross in my place. You paid the penalty for my sin and you rose again from the dead. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. For the rest of you, I'd just like to invite you to stand and we're gonna, actually don't stand, stay comfortable, but we're gonna pray together. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want you to take a moment, would you, to think. Think about your cognitive biases. And I do want you still to go home and do this. Think about your cognitive biases. Think about the wrong perspective. And then ask God right now to show you his goodness in your past as you zoom out to see how it's all led you to where you are today and how that's a good thing. Maybe it doesn't look good yet because you're still on the journey. And then zoom in 
Look at your current circumstances. Where can you see that in spite of the suffering, in spite of the struggle, God's turning something good out of it? So God, right now, as we focus our thoughts on you, I pray that you would do what only you could do. God, that right now you'd speak to them, Holy Spirit, that they'd hear your voice, either as an audible voice or a, a thought that they know didn't come from themselves, a nudge in their heart and their spirit says, this is where I was when this happened. And this is the truth about that situation. This is where I'm at work in your life right now. Here's the truth about what you're going through. This is where I'm taking you. And if I began this good work in you, you better believe I'm going to complete it. Thank you, Jesus. Father, let that hope be instilled in every single one of us. May we leave today like Paul, free on the inside, regardless of what's happening on the outside. And may our freedom draw people to you so they too can experience that freedom, Father. In Jesus' name. Can we give God a hand clap this morning? And now I just simply want to invite Manny. He's going to come and he's going to take us into a time of giving and share what's going on here at the fountain. But I love you guys. Thank you so much for allowing me to minister to you today. Amen. God is good, right? Refresh your life. Refrain, sorry, reframe your life your past, your present, and your future. While we put that in our minds and in our heart, just think about how God is good in our lives. Amen? Well, today's a really busy day for everybody. Today we have Fountain Connect. For those that want to meet the pastor, we have the community center room just across that door right there in the middle if you want to meet the pastor and you want to know more about the church you are welcome to go in there there's some snacks some goodies there's water Woo. so who wants to meet the pastor today this is opportunity amen two we're getting a good we're getting a good event in the next couple weeks and that's with the school across the parking lot so if you haven't bring no candy for the trunk uh, event that we're going to have there, just remember that when you go to the market and buy a bag and, and bring it in, there's a, a basket, a box, a cardboard box in front of uh, our doors there, and just put your candy there. And sign up too. I was getting there, Pastor. And make sure you sign up because they need help to decorate and put your car if you want to volunteer and have some games for the kids. You, you know, we don't like that, adults. And we think like adults all the time. But think about the kids, right? They like candy and they like fun. Games and presents. So if you want to join in, just sign in. And today we have another meeting right after this. Short Creek. There will be some more information about the Short Creek event, uh, the mission 
So if you want to, if you're interested, just uh, get with Esther, and she will be able to let you know all the information that you need to for that mission. And then we have something else. I told the, the I, I show a, a little example today to the to the table host. When you go to the hospital, you hear that beep, 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 right? Well, this week, the 11th, sign up for a prayer day. That's our lifeline every day, not that Wednesday, not once a month. So if you want your beep, beep going, come and pray. Because you don't want your Because that will happen if you don't pray. Amen. Pursuit. Sunday, the 15th, we have pursuit. Next week, that means next week. So if you want to get with the worship team and meet Rochelle and come and enjoy and sing and dance and scream, whatever you want to do, you're welcome to come Saturday for a rehearsal with the choir and she'll be able to help you just get with her and she will help you. Amen. Now we have our offering. We have three ways to give our offering. But one thing I want to remind everybody, we have our buckets in each side there. If you, you know, if you in case forget about it, there's a box, a lockout box right there. That if you see that everything, you know, the buckets are gone, just put your offering there. And uh, Usher's gonna move right now the, the bucket so you could be access to it, amen? So we have three ways to give. And it's right there in our beautiful sign. Online, for those that are online right now. Weekly offering buckets, for those that are here. And mail in, for those that are old school and still like checks, kill trees and all that, go for it. <laughs> Amen. Let's stand up and pray. God is good. There was comic, there was everything today, special effects, everything. Because God is good. We have to have everything in our lives right so prepare your offering grab it if you already did online pray for it and tell God to multiply it God doesn't need your money but he needs your love to the community amen and that's the only way we could reach the community by us giving our offerings so let's bow and close our eyes and pray Father, as we lay before your, you our own financial offering, we give you all that we are and everything that you have entrusted to us. Come bless this gift for the sake of your kingdom and glory. Amen. And God bless you. And don't forget, the bucket's right there. Take care. See you next week.